Good morning, Mercy House. Uh, glad to have you on the live stream this morning. Also, welcome to those of you that this is your first time. Uh, we're glad you're here. We hope you'll interact with us. Uh, go to the, uh, the, the, the live page, uh, mercyhouse365 uh, slash live, and uh, you can reach out to us for follow-up or questions. also want to say happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there. Um, we are continuing in the book of Philippians. Hopefully you're opening up your little Philippians uh, scripture journal, those of you that received those, and you're taking notes uh, for the sermon and in your own personal study. And we're going to be talking about uh, prayer. I mean, last week we started off talking about the, the first portion of this opening prayer in Philippians, which is Thanksgiving. And then here we actually see the request that Paul makes in his prayer. And I think well, as Christians, uh, we know, if, if we are a Christian, that prayer is important. Uh, we see in the Old Testament that prayer is important. We see in the life and teachings of Jesus, prayer is important. We, we see in the book of Acts, prayer is important. We see in the letters of the New Testament that prayer is to be a priority. I think we, we all can agree on that. But what should be the content of our prayer? I, I think that's a, that's a harder question. Um, and we've actually, we did a, some teaching on this a few weeks ago when we looked at Luke 11 and we looked at the, the model prayer or sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. And I even shared that I use that prayer as, as, as a frame, uh, frame of reference for my own praying and pretty much every day. And so that, that's a good place to start. But, but then also, I think looking at actual prayers in the scriptures, people praying, what, what's the content of their prayers? I think is incredibly helpful. Uh, and Paul's prayers in particular, I think, are incredibly helpful. And so we're going to dive pretty deep in this uh, few verses here as we look at Paul's prayer request. And I think what we, what we see here uh, is we see at least some example of what we should be asking for and what we should expect the, the result to be. So what are we asking for and what's like the ultimate uh, goal of of the prayer that we're praying. And you may think, well, that's easy. Like, I know what I want from God, and I know what I want the result to be. I shared with uh, you last week that our son, Cooper, had ACL reconstructive surgery uh, last Monday. And uh, he's doing well. Uh, those first few days are always hard, but uh, he's, he's doing much better. And so you think about, okay, we, we were praying for Cooper, and, uh, and so what, what should we have prayed for him, and so we pray that he would be healed, and pray that he would recover quickly, and that there would be very little pain, um, which we prayed, and I think many of you prayed those things, which I think is, is, is a, we're seeing the results of that as, as he's recovering uh, quickly, um, but then is that the end of the prayer, right? Is, is it what we ask for is that he would uh, have a quick recovery and very little pain, and then the result we're looking for ultimately is that he has a quick recovery and very little pain. Or is there something more that we should be praying for when we're, we're praying, even, even for health issues or money issues? Um, and, and I think if you've been around the Bible any amount of time, you've been uh, growing in your prayer life, there's something in the back of your head saying, yeah, that is probably should be a little something more that that we should be praying rather than just alleviation of pain and have a trouble-free life. And, and so I think we, when we look at the, the, the prayers of the Apostle Paul, he is extremely helpful in showing us uh, some of the content that uh, could be and should be in our prayers. 
so again, what, what should we be asking for and what should we expect to be the result of what we're asking for? These are the two big ideas of today's sermon. So what should we be asking for? So Philippians 1, verse 9 there, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So this is his prayer request. Abounding, ever-increasing love in the church of Philippi. That, that, that's what his prayer request is. Now you've been, I'm sure if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you've been in Bible studies where the Bible study leader at the beginning of the meeting might say, are there any prayer requests? And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the prayer requests are, uh, I have a sick friend or a sick family member, would you pray for them? Yes. Uh, someone with money troubles, pray for them? Yes. Um, I have a test. We have a lot of college students in our congregation. There's always a, uh, a big project or a test that needs to be uh, prayed for. And then and maybe a friend who's not yet a Christian that uh, has, is being shared with and praying for that friend to come to understand the gospel and, and become a Christian. And those are, those are all good, good requests, th- things that we, we absolutely should uh, pray for. But, but again, in those scenarios, you, you, you kind of know in the back of your mind, ought we be praying for, for something more, for something additional than these just kind of temporal needs that we have where we're trying to get that trouble-free life from God? And so you see, again, Paul, his request is not trouble-free life for the Philippians. His request for them is that they would abound in, in this ever-increasing uh, love. And so what kind of love is he talking about? Is he talking about the kind of love where People, you know, they smile at each other. They're warm to each other on a Sunday morning. Like, they'll help each other out in a time of need. If it's, if it's convenient, um, is that the kind of thing he's talking about? I, I don't think so. I think he's talking about something much more. I mean, it, even um, the word he uses here that's translated love, right? Agape love. I mean, if you know any Greek word, this is probably the one you know, right? It's agape love, unconditional love. Love, as opposed to like eros love, which is sexual love, uh, or philia love, which is like brotherly love, familial love. But but this this is something different. This agape love is this unconditional uh, love, and this love is most properly expressed inside a covenant community. This is where this kind of love can be properly lived out. And, and this love is akin to the kind of love that's shown inside a biological family. The kind of love we're celebrating today that come from, comes from our fathers. Right? If, if we've had a, a good, healthy relationship with our father, what we've experienced is that our father didn't treat us like he treated every other human on the planet. He, he treated us special. He treated us with a commitment that was very different than his commitment to loving other people. His commitment to us was not based on his his preferences or or his chemistry with us or his emotional state at the time. Uh, He looked at us and he said, kid, in his mind, I don't care how much you drive me crazy or I drive you crazy. I'm going to love you today. And then I'm going to get up tomorrow, and I'm going to do it again. That's, that's what we're celebrating today, <laughs> in Father's Day. And this is the kind of love that Paul is saying is to be lived out in the church. 
you're not supposed to treat the people inside the church the same that you treat every other human. There's a unique relationship inside the covenant community of the church whereby you love those people in an unconditional agape kind uh, of way. You're absolutely committed to them, not based on preference, not based on the, the chemistry you have with certain people in the church. It's, it's not based on your emotional state at the time. You look at your church members, your fellow church members, and you say, in the back of your mind, I don't care how crazy you drive me or how crazy I drive you. I'm going to unconditionally love you today. And tomorrow, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to do it again. This is the kind of agape love that Paul is praying would be manifested in the church at Philippi. Now, I know some of you are listening, you're like, that sounds really great, but that's not really what it's like in the church. I mean, come on, that's, that's not what Paul really thinks is going to happen amongst a bunch of non-family people that are part of a church. And I, Actually, I, I think Paul absolutely expects this. And one of the threads you can pick up in Philippians is this sibling language, and it shows up in every chapter. In Philippians 1, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Philippians 2.25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother." and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, that's chapter 1, chapter 2. Here's chapter 3. Uh, 3, 1, first part. Finally, my brothers. 3, 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Now, Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers. In, in verse 1. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. 421, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. I'm pretty sure that Paul's expectation is that the characterization of the relationships inside the church are like family. And he's certainly talking about the sisters as well. In fact, he'll address some by name in Philippians 4. He'll talk about Iodia uh, at Syntyche at the end. And, and, and so he absolutely is loving the sisters and the brothers uh, as family, that they are to be loved unconditionally, that they are to be in covenant community with each other, uh, whether they drive each other crazy or, or not. They are committed unconditionally uh, to love one another. And this is, this is part of why church membership is so important. Um, not becoming an official member of a, a church is sort of like living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, right? And not getting married in a formal marriage covenant. And, and, and you know, you say, well, but we, but we love each other. We're committed to each other. And it, it may be true in that moment. But what happens when there's a falling out, when the, when the feelings just aren't quite as strong as they once were, uh, the things aren't quite going as as planned, what do you do? You break up. That's what you do. And you go find someone else. And you go through the pattern with them yet again. This is how many Americans interact with the church. They're sort of living together with 
a particular local church. They feel attracted to that church. They like the children's ministry. They like the worship. They like the preaching. They like the small, whatever it is. There's just something about the chemistry of that church that they are attracted to, at least in that moment. And they're committed to some degree. And though they go through some hard times, and then uh, it's time to break up. Right? I, I know as, as a pastor, uh, as leaders in the church, this can be very difficult when, when folks are not willing to formally commit to our local body. Uh, because how do we know who's the family? How do we know who's committed? You say, well, it's whoever shows up. And, and so they show up for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, but, but then, they, then they don't show up. And then we're like, well, what happened? And it, it's just this very loose kind of living together as opposed to living in covenant community. And, and so this, this is the kind of, of context, this committed covenant community, that this agape love can be truly lived out in. Now, our church needs this perhaps more than most. I mean, we live in a very transient kind of context with the colleges and the university. Uh, we don't make it around here unless uh, the permanent and the semi-permanent people covenant together. Right? There's no other way to make it around here. And this includes college students. So I think oftentimes college students are like, well, I'm here for a few years, I'm in, I'm out. No, we're talking to you too. We, we need you to also covenant with us in the good times and in the bad. And actually, it's a great way for you to begin a trajectory of that kind of living out of agape covenant love now that you're going to take with you to the next church uh, when you're a longer-term resident. And, and of course, it, it, it's different than biological family uh, in some ways because this, this family is constantly welcoming new people in and sending those people out. But still, that does, that does not take away from the reality of a covenant community that's loving each other with unconditional agape love. So, quick commercial. If you haven't joined the church, meet Mercy House. Uh, July 25th is going to be the next opportunity you'll have. You'll find out about baptism. You'll find out about church membership. And you'll just find out about the church. So, so if there's something that you just, you just want to kind of find out, what's this place about? This will be a great opportunity. And we'll definitely put out more information about that as it gets closer. Now, Mercy House has definitely grown in their commitment to each other. This is one of the, the things that I've been most encouraged about in our church is that more and more people in the congregation are really leaning in. They're joining the church, including college students. I mean, every time we have a Meet Mercy House class, we have a number of college students that come and officially join the church as covenant members. And not just in name only. There's a growing number of people who have committed to this body and the mission of this body. They, they know that membership means giving generously, sacrificially of their time and their talent and their treasure. And they're doing that with joy for the purpose of reaching uh, those in our, in our region, both campus and community, uh, because of the mission that we're on. And so this, this is happening. Um, and of course, it needs to happen more. I mean, for one, we just are having to continually replace those that have been sent out. And so even to just kind of maintain what we have, it, it means more and more people joining us, joining the family, joining the mission as we move forward uh, into what God has for us in the future.
Now, Paul gives some more insight into this kind of love, this agape covenant love that uh, he's, he's praying for. He says that this love uh, will abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, this is a, some great, great clarifiers in terms of what this love is, is like. ESV says knowledge and all discernment. NIV says knowledge and depth of insight. Uh, KJV says in knowledge and in all judgment. So these two words kind of carry this, this knowledge or truth, but, but then this, this insight, this discernment, this kind of wisdom about how to apply the truth on the ground in real time. So let's, let's think about these two words. So knowledge, I mean, this is, guards us against a kind of love that is full of sentimentality and emotionalism. Uh, it, it, it's guarding against that. It's saying that, that love should be informed by truth. Uh, you hear this in Paul's teachings about love in other letters. I mean, the most famous of which is 1 Corinthians 13. And this is a portion of that where he writes, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now you look at that little sandwich there of verses, and if verse 6 wasn't there, right? If, 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 this, if this verse of it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, you would be made to think, oh, Oh, what I do, I just, I just try to worry about my own wrongdoing, and then I, I just bear with anybody else's wrongdoing. But, but here in, in this little sandwich, you see Paul saying, no, 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 your, your love, your agape love needs to be informed by the truth, right, with knowledge. And, and, and that, that truth is helping you love your brothers and sisters in the church uh, rightly. The true Christian love must be informed by true Christian truth, right? Truth about God, truth about ourselves, truth about others. And uh, this is a great start, right? But even that's not enough. Just having truth uh, inform our love, it's not enough. We, we actually have to apply the truth in the moment, in the relationships in the church. And this is where discernment comes in. This is, this is where wisdom comes in. Um, this word translated discernment only shows up right here. This is the only time in the Bible uh, the, the, the way that this, this word is used. And it, it's this ability to apply truth in a wise way, in a moment, in real time. And, you know, there, there's some situations that seem cut and dry. You're like, we just need truth here. We don't really need discernment. Say, let's say... Okay, so-and-so is committing adultery against their spouse. That's not good. That's wrong. That's against the truth of the Bible. We need to go talk to that person. We need to tell them to stop doing it. But even in a situation like that, there's discernment because are there kids involved? Is this person violent? Will it blow back to the spouse in a dangerous way? We've got to figure out how to handle this in a way that's, that's wise. Will it blow back to the church? Will it hurt the church? What, what do we need to think about in terms of, of the fallout in the church if we try to, to talk to this person about their adultery? So, so even something that seems like cut and dry in the truth, it has to be applied with insight. It has to be applied with uh, discernment. And this is what Paul's praying for. He's, he's praying for this kind of love. Love informed by truth. Love informed with 
this uh, discernment or insight. I mean, think about this. Next next week on Sunday, and it's actually it's at 730. I don't, I don't, I don't think, think we put that out yet, but 730 p.m. Uh, we'll be in a summit talking about the budget, and we'll be voting on the budget for the next uh, 12 months. And we're going to need uh, this abundant love, this unconditional agape love, and we're going to need that love to be informed with the truth of the Word, truth about the nature of the church, truth about uh, Jesus' vision for, for mission, but we're also going to need to have discernment. Like, how do we apply this truth in love at this moment in the history of our church, in this kind of context, with these kind of challenges, with these kind of opportunities that are before us? This is the kind of love that Paul is praying for. Now, what will be the result? I think this, this may be the most insightful part of this, of this passage. Like, like okay, if, if I get this abundant, ever-increasing love that's informed by truth and informed by uh, this wisdom, this discernment, what, what will be the result? And, and this is the result, verses 10 and 11. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He's letting them know that, that the fruit that, that he expects to come about, if this prayer of abundant love that's informed by truth and, and discernment is going to be answered, is righteous thinking and righteous acting to the glory of God and His gospel. Righteous thinking, righteous acting to the glory of God and His gospel. Let's think about those pieces there. Righteous thinking, uh, he's saying, I want you to be able to approve what is excellent, pure, and blameless. That, that is righteous thinking. That as you're assessing things, you're thinking about things. You're, you're saying, I approve of this. This is pure and blameless. This is holy. This is of God. But then you see something else, and you're like, I don't approve of this. This is not righteous. This is not pure. This is not blameless. This is not holy. And, and that's happening in your mind. You, you're assessing. And so he's describing the righteous mind, which is what he hopes will be the result of this ever-increasing love informed by truth and discernment. And that everyone would be thinking that way. Later he'll say that he, he wants the Philippians to have one mind. Right? That's, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, I want you to have the righteous mind so that you can think in unity about particular issues. Uh, yesterday we were part of a, a Christian Black Lives event. And I, I you know, spoke for a, a short time. I know it's hard for you to believe. I can speak for a short time, but I did it. And uh, we, we were part of this uh, incredible experience with other churches and heard from folks from really around New England talk about the issue of racial injustice and uh, the racial divide in our country. And, and so as, as we were preparing for that and we invited the church to be a part of that, a uh, few of you um, graciously reached out and were like, we have concerns you know, about uh, what might be stood for by the organization of the Black Lives Matter and their website and what they say they're about versus uh, what the, what Christ would say and what he would and and so we've we've been kind of having these conversations and so here's what we're having to do in regard to racial injustice and the racial divide we're having to lean in with agape love informed by truth and discernment in this moment that that's what we're doing. That, and that's what we all need to be doing. Because I think that the risk is that we just fall off 
as a, as a left-wing progressive or a right-wing conservative instead of saying, no, what, what is the mind of Christ in regard to this? And what I'm telling you is what is usually going to happen is the, the, the left side's not going to be happy with you and the right side's not going to be happy with you. You're going to be saying things that, that, are, that are going to be positive and, and approved by different sides and you're going to be saying things that are not approved by others. And the, the point is that we want to seek the righteous mind. And that, and, and that the, the agape love that's poured into our hearts by the Spirit, that's, that's informed by truth, informed by discernment. Like th- this is what we have as a resource in order to lean in and not say, I'm, I'm out or I'm, I'm so far in that I can't even think straight in a biblical kind of way. And so th- there's so much hope in this passage. For, even for this moment that we find ourselves in. Now, this righteous thinking is obviously not enough. We need to have righteous living come out of righteous thinking. So think about this again. Uh, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise uh, of God. This fruit of righteousness, right? It's like, okay, you're thinking righteously. Now there's going to be a fruit of that righteous thinking, which, of course, is righteous uh, living. Again, in, in the issue of racial divide and, 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 and racial injustice, we don't just need to think rightly about it. We need to act. <laughs> I mean, if that, if that was any, any, any common theme yesterday in this, in this rally, that was one of the themes. Like, don't just show up for a protest and post something on Facebook. Like, like, like figure out what is the best way to not only think, but to act. And so this is Paul is saying to, to the Philippian church, this love that's informed by truth and discernment, it, it's bearing this fruit of righteous thinking and righteous acting. And of course, in many, in every way, right? Every domain of life, including racial injustice, including the racial divide, but including everything else, whether it's, it's budgets or how I approach my neighbor across the street. Everything is needing a righteous mind that is acting in a righteous way. And what's the result of this? The ultimate result of this righteous thinking, righteous acting, and I think this is so powerful, uh, that it's coming through Jesus Christ and the, the glory and praise, to the glory and praise of God. So think about this in a summary kind of statement. The ever-increasing covenant love that is characterized by knowledge and by discernment bears the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God and his gospel. Right? This is what Paul is praying in terms of his request and the expectations of the result of his request. And people see this kind of church, this sort of love-infused righteousness, they're going to take notice. What, what's going on here? This, this seems supernatural. Is, is this just some kind of a nebulous, deistic God out there that's giving you guys power and you're able to have this love-infused righteousness? And we're going to like, nope. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through the work of Christ on the cross. We sinners could have never lived in that kind of a community, covenant community, unconditionally loving one another in spite of our own struggles and sin if it wasn't for the gospel, if it wasn't for the saving grace, the sustaining grace that that is in the middle, the core of our church. 
And so all these things that he's praying for, he's hoping that ultimately they would point to God and his gospel. So go, go back to, to Cooper's knee. Poor Cooper, right? He's watching right now. He didn't know I was going to do this. This is my Father's Day gift to myself. Okay, Cooper, <laughs> I get to use you as, a, as an illustration. PK, you know, PK problems. Um, so absolutely, am I praying for, for Coop's uh, healing and, and his recovery? Absolutely. Crying out to God as his father and, and lamenting, grieving that, that this boy has had to go through this two times in the last 11 months. This is a re-tear uh, surgery repair. It, it, is, it is devastating to me that my boy has to do that. But I'm also praying that God is building him up he is building him up in faith. He is teaching him how to suffer well in dependence on the grace of God. And you know what? It's happening. It's happening. He is leaning into the gospel, even in the midst of such a difficult time. All praise and glory to God. All praise and glory to the gospel that's working itself out in my son. Right? So, so, that's kind of the next level down kind of prayer. Like, like yes, let's, let's pray for alleviation of suffering. It's totally appropriate. Like, what, what person wouldn't? How could you have compassion in your heart if you, if you didn't pray that kind of stuff? But you need to drill down deeper. Listen to the Apostle Paul, what he's praying for these Philippians who are suffering and, and, and what his hopes are for them to live and think righteously to the glory of God and the gospel. So you may be saying, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. That, you know, like, that sounds good in a sermon. Uh, that's good for you pastor people. You're, you're super spiritual, and that's how you pray. But, you know, I just want a nice life. I just want a trouble-free life. I just want my kids to be pain-free and never have a, a, a struggle. And I, I just don't, I do not want to pray in this, in this way. And what I, I want, I'll say a couple things to you. One is, you're barking up the wrong Jesus. That's not a real Jesus. You're praying to and through. That, 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 that's not how he works. And, and so you've, you've created this false Jesus in your mind that wants to give you, you know, the American dream, and you're praying that uh, you would have this trouble-free, wonderful, you know, life. And, and absolutely, he cares about our pain, and he alleviates pain, and he comforts, and he strengthens but he has a whole other set, additional set of things that he is accomplishing in our lives. And, and we would we'd be best suited to, 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 to cooperate with the Word and the Spirit and drop down in that zone in our prayer life. Um, I have those same feelings too. I just want to have a nice life. I just want to have a trouble-free life. Right? The, my flesh wants that. And so it's every, every prayer time is, is, a, is a battle. It's a struggle. And, and I, you know, I start leaning one way where I'm just like, just make all my troubles go away and give me this awesome life and I really don't care about your glory and I really don't care about the gospel. And then I start reading the word and I start praying and the Spirit's working on me and forming me and then I'm moving over and I'm like, I know you want more. And I, I begin to drill down into that text and begin to pray according to God's word, according to his truth with discernment. And that's when the Spirit is like, yes, I want to be all over that. <laughs> I'm not interested in just giving you a nice, trouble-free American life. I, I want you to drill down into the values of the kingdom and the gospel. 
Um, so how do, how do we respond? Lots of ways we can respond. I mean, one is put your faith in Christ today. I mean, all of this is possible through Jesus Christ. I mean, you see the text there. Like, like you can't even pray to God as your father if you've not yet placed your faith in God the Son and his saving work on the cross. You can't even pray, really. I mean, you can, you can say stuff to God, but, but you're really not in a relationship with the Father as a child until you've placed faith in his Son. And so if you've not yet done that, do that today. Do that today. Reach out to him and, and, and place faith in him. Uh, if you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, I, I, I'm interested, but I, reach out to us. Go, go to... Uh, the, the respond page, Mercy House 365 uh, slash respond, and read that. It's, it's a clarification of the gospel. There's opportunities to respond, and we'd love to reach back toward you and, and to talk more about what it means uh, to become a Christ follower. Number two, join the church. If you've not joined the church, like, join the church. That may be our church. That may be another church. You may be watching this in another country. Find an identified local body. And yeah, you're like, but they, they have this problem, this problem, this problem. Yeah, I get it. Like, we got problems. But if they preach the gospel from the scriptures, like, jump in and, and commit yourself with agape covenant love and grow in that love together with fellow sinners saved by grace. Number three, pray. Pray. Confess praying self-centered prayers. I'm constantly having to do that. Um, ask uh, you know, your, yourself and your fellow, uh, ask the Lord that, that, that yourself would abound in love that's the, that is informed by truth and discernment. Pray that for our church as we move into the, to this important budget conversation on next Sunday. Pray that we would abound with love. Pray that we would have a love that's informed by the knowledge of scriptural truth and, and it is, is able to be applied with wisdom um, uh, dads, pray for yourself. Pray that you would have this kind of love for your kids. Pray that you would abound with agape love. Not love based on preference or emotional state or you know, how, how you're feeling today, but, but absolute unconditional agape love, which is the same absolute unconditional agape love that the Father has shown us first. Right? Like, like talk about offering His Son. Talk about commitment. Talk about covenant love. That, that's what was shown to us from our loving Father. And it rescued us such that now we, we get to abound in that same love that's now overflowing. It's, it's not originating in us. It's originating in the Father through the work of the Son, by the power of the Spirit. But now it can abound in us. And we can express that love uh, to our families and to our church family and to the world as we move forward on mission. And so in, in light of, of this last uh, exhortation to pray, let's pray. What better time than the present? Right? Austin's going to come. He's going to lead us in a time of prayer based on these scriptures.